The Real Food Reel is proudly sponsored by LCHF Endurance. Stabilize your blood sugar, burn fat, decrease inflammation and become fat adapted in just 12 weeks. I'm so excited to share with you that LCHF Endurance is currently 50% off for a limited time only. Simply use the code LCHFE50 to sample the program, check out the kind of meals you'll get to eat, and cancel within seven days if it's not your sugar-free jam. Head to lchfendurance.com.au and use the code LCHFE50 for 50% off your upfront program payment today. Welcome to The Real Food Real. I'm Steph Lowe, the natural nutritionist. We're shaking things up on the podcast and each week I am joined by our cast of experts, including Kirsty Worth, Phil Maffetone, Kale Brock, Ali McLean, Katie Pettuccini and so many more leaders in the fields of real food, gut health, sports performance, holistic wellness and optimizing your health, metabolism and longevity. While you're tuning into today's episode, would you take a screenshot of your smartphone and share it on social media with the hashtag RealFoodReal? I'd absolutely love to know that you're tuning in. And while you're there, why not share this episode with a friend who also needs to hear our information goldmines and aha moments. Sharing the show means we can continue our mission of simplifying nutrition and showing the world that health starts with what you choose to put on your plate. Without further ado, let's dive into this week's episode of The Real Food Real. In episode 258 of The Real Food Real, we are joined by Julianne Taylor, New Zealand-based registered nurse and nutritionist with a particular interest in diets for improving autoimmune disease, blood glucose control, and general health. In today's episode, Julianne and I take a look at the techniques of persuasion used in the documentary, The Game Changes. You might be thinking, but we've already discussed this. Hold on right there. We're looking at things through a different lens to help you view all documentaries in new light. We explore nutrition misinformation, anti-meat bias, expert bias, if athletes can be plant-based and thrive, and so much more. Hi, Julianne, and welcome to the show. Hi, Steph. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's, it's great to be here. Yeah, looking forward to this discussion. Um, it's your first time on the show, though. So before we dive into today's topic, could you tell us more about yourself and your background in relation to health and certainly um, hobbies? <laughs> sure. So my first training was as a registered nurse. So I became a nurse ooh, way back in the 80s. Um, since then, I've also had a couple of different careers. Um, I was a designer of equipment for people with disabilities for about 10 years. And then in 1995, um, the zone diet was really popular. Uh, and I changed my diet to that particular protocol. And I experienced huge, a huge health impact. So that 
got my interest in nutrition. Like I just became kind of passionate about it at that stage. Um, since then, I've experimented with a couple of other different dietary protocols. Um, I think the paleo diet for me made the biggest difference because I've got autoimmune issues and discovered that gluten was a real trigger for my joint inflammation. So I've just been exploring diet ever since then and decided to go back to university and retrain. So I did uh, some level three papers and then went into post-grad nutrition and completed a postgraduate diploma and I'm currently a registered nutritionist and that's what I work in. Yeah, um, great. So, yeah. And um, hobbies. Yeah, so my current hobby is as a powerlifter. So I started CrossFit about 10 years ago, learned how to do the basics in powerlifting and then uh, three and a half years ago I started training specifically in powerlifting just to see what would happen to my body and how strong I could become. And I was really surprised that after about a year, I got to a point where um, I started getting really strong. And a year later, I was up to competition levels. So since then, I've just thrown myself into it, had a powerlifting coach, and within a year went from um, – regionals, nationals, and then represented New Zealand as a master's powerlifter in June this year in Sweden. So cool. I love it. So great yeah. that you yeah, really, I guess, worked your way through to understand those basics and spent the time, you know, developing the strength and now reaping the rewards. So I love that. Um, I really wanted to get you on the show because you wrote an article titled The Game Changers Movie Techniques of Persuasion. So as we were talking off air, it was quite a different angle because there were already a lot of debunks coming out. And like in the episode that I recorded with Kale Brock, we sort of unpicked the, the, the science and, and the lack of research and yeah, debunked a lot of their claims. Whereas you've taken this slightly different angle, which I love. Um, can you talk to us first about like why you took this angle and, and your background in relation to documentaries? Sure. So back in 2012, I was asked to do some research for a documentary. So we have a, a psychologist here um, who does a lot of shows and TV shows, and he was doing a series on different pertinent um, topics. And one of them was on diet and he took the topic of sugar. So I was asked to do research for that documentary. Um, and research involves kind of finding out all about the topic, searching for the right people to be on the show, to be interviewed by the presenter, um, kind of looking at the topic from all different angles, and finding out as much information as you can, basically. So I did that. It went really well. And then I was asked to do further research on a three-part documentary, which is actually on Amazon Prime, if anybody wants to see it. It's called Why Are We Fat? And it was basically about the obesity epidemic. So I really delved into that. It was three one-hour episodes, talked to experts all around the world, um, 
set up people to interview, um, talked to our presenter and got him up to speed on everything he needed to know. Yeah, so really that was my background in um, making uh, TV documentaries. And in that uh, second series in particular, I saw the original proposal, helped to work on that a little bit, um, found all the people to be on the programme and also took part in setting up the interviews, writing interview questions, preparing the interviewees and helping to structure the final documentary so it made sense. So I saw a documentary series and participated in making various aspects of it right from the very beginning to the very end. So as a result of that, I could see a lot of the techniques that were used in this particular documentary to persuade people or to present a one-sided view in a way that was persuasive, I guess. Um, and I really wanted to educate people on what were seemingly documentaries but actually were one-sided presentation of a point of view. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, um, like you also said off air, you obviously can perhaps see that more than someone who hasn't had your experience in previous documentaries. So I wanted to really just, yeah, unpack what, I guess to set the scene, I know in your article, like you, you were quite strong in saying that you don't have a problem with someone choosing to be vegan, but you, what you had a problem with is like the, the, the way they presented the science and, um, probably, yeah, I, I think you're going to agree with me that there was quite a lot of um, incorrect information and, and really weak anecdotes. So, yeah, talk to us about your thoughts there to sort of set the scene and then we can go into some more specifics. Yeah, so the main thing I uh, saw in the documentary was everything was designed to give you one side of the picture. It wasn't a representation of an accurate way to look at um, vegan athletes, which it was really designed to look at to tell us that you can have um, be athletically great on a vegan diet. Uh, yes, I agree. Actually, some people can, but at the same token, they set up this dichotomy where it's an either or. So either you eat plant food and you are brilliant and meat is bad, so don't eat it. It wasn't a, a balanced documentary looking at both sides and it was set up right from the beginning to be unbalanced. Yeah, I think that's a really important point because it was definitely only presenting one side. And if we sort of dive deeper, most people that have been paying attention to the film and the conversations will appreciate some of the vested interest, um, especially with the producers. But, yeah, what about your thoughts on those that were interviewed? Like to me it looks like they all have quite a strong, you know, um, vegan business <laughs> or, they, you know, they're passionate vegans themselves. So, you know, you don't need to even have a degree in nutrition to appreciate 
what their opinion might be and, you know, why they were interviewed for this specific documentary. Yeah, so, I mean, that's one of the things you do in a documentary. You want to present a certain point of view or information. And so then you go out and you look for people who will present that information in the way that you wanted it to be presented. So um, every doctor, expert interviewed had a point of view that a plant-based diet was the healthy is the healthiest diet for you and that meat is bad so there is no way they would say anything other than that point of view Mm. they didn't go out and get anybody that represented an alternative point of view Um, could have looked pretty messy and pretty bad for the for the documentary if they had yeah yeah that's just what you do and then I, I guess the other thing about interviews that people don't realize is that an interview can be anything from one to two hours long so you know it takes some time to set up a camera lighting you've got um, your interviewee set up they have prepped with a set of questions that and possible bullet point answers even depending on the documentary um, things they want them to talk about And then in the final cut, you've got two hours of talking that you can cut and present in pretty much any way you want. Um, So it can be used to really um, make specific points and sound bites for that documentary. And that makes it even more persuasive because you get like, oh, this is exactly what I want to say and this way I want to say it. Let's put this in this particular place to answer this particular question. Yeah, absolutely. And, of course, then those snippets are the ones that are shown um, in that sort of entertainment sense as well because that's how the documentary was formatted. But, yeah, I mean, it's really interesting because I have a lot of conversations, especially since... Um, this documentary was released, I've been having a lot of conversations with vegans online and a lot of them believe that or only get their nutrition knowledge from nutritionfacts.org and they're really passionate about referring to this as their scientific backbone and it's it's like their bible right and whenever you're having this conversation online they've they've always got you know links or arguments that come from this source and again if we look at the um yeah the the i guess the two main people that run nutritionfacts.org we've got dr michael gregor he's in a very anti-meat and the and joseph pace who was also the film's writer and he's like an environmental activist and a vegan of 30 years so you know like it's the same conversation you've got to really understand where the information is coming from, not dissimilar to a scientific study if there is vested interest to unpack, is it actually independent research? And often often it's not. No, exactly. So that's exactly right. Dr. Michael Greger was the main science advisor on the program. Mm-hmm. And interestingly, he said um, on one of the websites that he reckons this is one of the best 
um, plant-based documentaries of all time. Um, I mean, not surprising because it represents everything he thinks. But I'm actually really embarrassed by that statement. Like when I, when I first watched it, I, it, you know, for me it was laughable and I thought to myself that it was going to be an opportunity for those that are actually really passionate about veganism to come out and say something along the lines of like, I'm really happy to see that we're having this conversation on such a large platform, but I don't agree with, you know, anecdotes and weak science and, and, and maybe sort of almost um, own up to the fact that it was not strong in its science and that, you know, a lot of the examples like the erection conversation and the comparison of, you know, deep fried chicken to whole foods, like that's embarrassing to me. Yet we've got these people with all the letters after their names, years or decades of experience. And, you know, in Australia or um, in my little sort of online world, so many people that are just blind to all of that because they're so you know blinded by that veganism message and I find that really disappointing yeah I think you and I would find it disappointing lots of scientists would but if you're in the documentary sphere the whole point is to make it entertaining Mm. and all of those demonstrations were about entertainment (laughs) yes You, you know yeah, they were just entertainment. And I mean, you know, when I've made documentaries, one of the things I, or when I've researched documentaries, one of the things I go and find is what are some really fascinating um, sort of either experiments or demonstrations or things that we can have in the documentary that isn't just people talking, like what we call talking heads. Mm. Talking heads are pretty boring and they turn people off you want something that's really really memorable you want something that people are going to go away and talk about and probably not ever forget like you know who would forget that um you know guys have more boners at night you know you just don't forget that stuff and people get and you want people to get scared of things as well or excited by things so that's the other point of the demonstrations um yeah, pure entertainment, memorable moments, something to make people talk about. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, except it's not science. So that's the problem for then those that take that to be gospel and and I guess quite fear-based think that they have to cut out all animal protein because it's, yeah. you know. Yeah, that's it. I mean, they've set up these fear-based experiments, uh, you know, the fear-based, the experiments were designed to give you fear of meat mm. um, and also the whole false dichotomy of um, some of the, the science. So, for example, one of the things I noticed was about meat. You know, meat has all these bad things associated with it and plant has all these good things associated with it. I mean, that's just completely not how nutrition is. But, and it shocks me that scientists would actually allow that. But, you know, when you're trying to put people off something, they use those fear tactics. And it seems to be pretty strong in that kind of vegan dialogue. Mm. Definitely. Yeah. 
And so in your article, I think we could probably speak to this next as a good segue that you mentioned that, of course, it could have been the other way around. Of course, there's plenty of great nutrients in animal products that weren't mentioned. And conversely, you know, plants can be quite harmful in their own way in context, of course. So do you want to talk to us more about those points that you discussed in your article? Yeah, so um, some of the things they mentioned were meat is only, and they gave the impression that meat is only associated with negative things. That's the other thing. It's not like there are some negative aspects of meat. Like, yeah, if you have, if you overload with iron, it's going to be problematic because it's pro-oxidant and that does happen to some people. Um, But on the other hand, you know, if you're a young menstruating woman, cutting out heme iron is probably a really bad idea because you end up becoming, and you may end up becoming anemic. Mm. So they didn't bother to point that out. Um, And then they made some of the things in meat a lot scarier than they actually are. And they missed out a whole lot of positive things about meat. You know, they could have said meat's got, B12. You can't get that from anywhere else, therefore eat meat. Um, Fish has got long-chain omega-3, EPA and DHA. Eat fish, and we know, for example, that people that eat fish are probably some of the healthiest on the planet, and they completely ignored that. So part of it is not only making something look bad, it's ignoring anything good associated with it. Long chain, uh, sorry, not long chain, but the active form of vitamin A, uh, retinol, is only found in animal products. Choline is pretty much only found in animal products, and that's pretty good for your liver and your brain. And then they've only pointed out positive things about plants, um, but they neglect to say, for example, that if you're eating plant protein, there are anti-nutrients that slow down or block the absorption of all the protein. And it's not a great source for some people. You actually have to compensate by that for that by eating more protein. So, yeah, I mean, and also the whole false dichotomy is like people only eat plants or only eat meat, and that's just not how most people with nutrition knowledge Eat. We eat whole um, unprocessed sources of animal protein and whole unprocessed sources of plant food as well. Yeah, I agree. I think there was that really exaggerated conversation like all of us that eat meat sit down to like an Atkins type diet of the of when it was first, you know, invented and I think that's a real issue because as I said and I've said many times before like I I eat predominantly plant-based and I I think you know a lot of us do because we only we we know that when we source the right type of animal protein you know free range grass-fed grass-finished wild caught etc that you only need relatively small amounts and I'm building every plate from plants from you know, non-starchy veggies and small amounts of above grounds. And I think um, Mm. that's something that, yeah, was just not discussed in the film. 
it was like we were all eating the worst of the worst, deep fried Kentucky chicken and buckets of it. And again, that's so incorrect. Yeah, exactly. But entertaining. <laughs> Very entertaining. And, and, you know, that brings me to the other point of um, when people change from any um, sort of standard Western diet, whole, high in kind of processed food, fast food, junk food, ultra processed food, to whether it's plant based or an omnivorous whole food, they're going to get health improvements. But they made it look like it would only happen if you ate a plant based whole food diet. Mm. It's completely untrue, as we know. Yeah, look, we, we understand obviously everything that, that went into the um, documentary was to really destroy that myth that you need animal protein. But um, then, of course, that it leads us to discuss, yeah, more fallacies in the film. Um, what else What else do you think is um, a really big flaw in the science that they presented, whether it is about performance or, you know, looking at plant protein and, and how many of those athletes are needing to take so many supplements as a yeah. result? Yeah, I was going to say that it's... Um and they, it's something they completely neglected to put in the movie, which I think does people a real disservice if they're switching to a plant-based diet. Because um, I gave a talk at a gym a couple of weeks ago, and this young man said, oh, I'm switching to a plant-based diet. I just watched The Game Changers. I made my mum watch it. I made my sister watch it. Um, and I said, what are you interested in? He said, I want to get stronger. I want to get better performance. I want to feel better. And in the documentary, they showed athletes and strong men and bodybuilders eating what looked like unprocessed food, um, lots of plant food, obviously, but then like tofu and legumes and things like that. What they didn't show, and when I went and looked it up, was all the supplements, especially the stronger men and the bodybuilders, took in order to get adequate protein. And I, this is one thing that bothers me with actually some of the guidelines, the, even the standard guidelines that legumes in particular can be a direct swap for animal protein um, and so this is one thing they didn't point out you know for example to get 30 grams of protein from chickpeas you need 420 grams of cooked chickpeas <laughs> compared to 100 grams of cooked chicken and in the process you're going to get huge amounts of fiber which is fantastic um, but you're also going to get about 50 grams of carbohydrates so people don't do an automatic swap, and if they do, they're probably only going to get, you know, 5 to 10 grams of protein. So to make up the difference in the amount of protein you get from legumes, those guys absolutely, 100%, must supplement with refined sources of um, protein isolates plus additional amino acids like creatine, beta-alanine, you know, 
sure, as a powerlifter, <laughs> I would take some of those as well because they're known to improve your performance and to help you build muscle. But I don't have to take those, whereas those guys would not be able to get as strong or as muscular as possible without taking isolated um, plant protein supplements. And they neglected that completely in the movie, which I think is negligent. So it's just, you know, you're going to have these kids, like I saw the other day, it's like young man wants to get strong, goes to the gym, starts eating, you know, legumes and vegetables, wonder why, wonders why he's getting weaker because he hasn't added 100, net, 100 grams net of protein supplements and specific amino acids to make up the difference. Yeah, I just don't understand the logic. I just don't understand how these either athletes or, you know, vegan proponents could be so strongly attached to the nutrient value of their dietary choices, yet also be looking down the barrel of lifelong supplementation. Like, I don't, I don't, I can't understand why they can't see that it, it's not the best choice if you can't get everything that you need from your plate alone. To me, that's just um, something that they're choosing to turn a blind eye to. Um, to justify their decision. And, you know, young people especially, they're probably not in the position. I mean, I am um, making some assumptions, but I don't think they're unfounded from my experience that they're not going to be in the position to always eat a really well-designed vegan diet where they're looking at their macronutrients, their calories, their, you know, understanding if they are getting enough protein rather than just doing a a blind one-to-one swap, which as you've discussed, very rarely will be equal. And yeah, they're, they're not really taking the time to understand it. Whereas, you know, I'm not against veganism. I think it can be done in a select person, but it does take time to really understand what you need, how you're going to make consume the, the volume of food that you need. And then, you know, I have issues further when we look at things like our soil quality, you know, we're having to start to consume so much more food because the nutrient, you know, value is decreasing over time. That it's, start, it's starting to become really impractical when you can't get that really nice dense source of a B12 or, like you said, a, a long-chain fatty acid from a small piece of salmon. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And and, you know, you do see people over time, at least I've read lots of accounts online of people over time who get less and less well on a vegan plant-based diet. And I think it really depends on your motivation to do, you know. I, if somebody is ethically really, really opposed to eating animal foods, then you really do, like you said, need to go out of your way to eat what is missing in a diet that includes animal foods. But if you're eating a plant-based diet in order to improve performance, which is what this game changes um, makes people think, then I think people are going to be hugely disappointed in the long run because a lot of people aren't going to thrive over time 
I know that when I was eating pretty much a plant-based diet when I was younger, I did it completely the wrong way. And I had a lot of inflammation. I was really fatigued after going to the gym because I never had enough protein. I didn't have long-chain omega-3s. I didn't have retinol because I'm a really poor converter of beta-carotene to retinol. And it really just didn't work for me. And when I added animal protein back in, it was like a revelation. I was like, this is energy. This is wellness. This feels great. Um, so, How long were you plant-based for? Um, it was kind of on and off back in the 80s in the day of mm. days of sort of vegetarianism or semi-vegetarian. Um, so probably about three years, I would yeah. say. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's such an interesting space at the moment. Like I was vegetarian for 10 years, so it's obviously not veganism, but I mean, I certainly wasn't healthy. Um, But there's more to that story. I just think that what's really fascinating is that, as you would know, it's absolutely becoming quite common to see the decline because we know that there's the capacity to store B12 for a couple of years. So you might feel fine or even great for the first few years if you're starting to eat more plants and more processed food, like that goes without saying yeah now we're seeing vegans convert back to either you know a standard real food template or further a carnivore approach because they've got a number of symptoms as a result of a longer term vegan diet you know there's at least two quite popular um vegan influencer um one is Alice Parker, and I believe you know of Tim. Um, his last name has escaped me. Um, Shape, was it? Who was originally interviewed for the Game Changers? Oh, tell me that story. I don't know that part. Oh, okay. So um, there's a, an athlete. Um, Tim Shafe, um, S-H-I-E-F-F, if I'm saying that correctly. Yeah. I'm not sure if I'm saying correctly, but anyway, so I understand if you look up, which is quite fascinating, if you look him up, there are actually some interviews with him online in the early days of the Game Changers. Like this pro, this film took, what, six or seven years to make. Mm-hmm. Um, they have thousands of hours of footage, and Tim Schafer's one of, was like a passionate vegan um, based diet proponent and he was interviewed for the game changers and if you listen to early interviews he will talk about how you know he's on this plant-based diet and he's participating in the game changers movie um and then he got more and more unwell decided to go on a fast which he lost lots of weight came out of that had his first piece of salmon i think and some eggs yes felt Amazing. Had a wet dream, I believe. <laughs> yeah, I had a wet dream. Had a <laughs> I mean, we've got to talk about erections, don't we, for it to be scientifically valid. <laughs> and it's kind of interesting that, you know, he had his first wet dream and yet these guys in the, in the movie eating one day of plants, you know, measured like more erections. I mean, who knows? Outside, mm. whatever. Um, yeah, and... So he wasn't included at all, wasn't mentioned at all, which again is interesting. It's like we will only mention the people that 
tell us they are thriving on this diet. We won't mention anybody that doesn't thrive or has had to switch back to an omnivorous diet for their health. Yeah, that's fascinating. I didn't actually know that. I've just I've just seen the more recent stuff where his um, quite recent YouTube clip titled um, Veganism is Wrong for Me, Why I Started Eating Meat, and it's attracted so much attention. One, because he's a very well-known, you know, previous vegan activist, and then as a result, two, he is receiving, like, so much abuse bordering on death threats, I believe, from his his followers or his ex-followers who can't believe that he's crossed to the dark side. So it's heating up, that's for sure. Yeah, it's, it's, it happens mm. for sure. I mean, I've gotten a lot of abuse on some of my Facebook pages, to be honest, and I've just, um, I've just removed those posts. It's just not worth it. Since you posted this article in particular or, or, or just over the years in general? There was, um, there was a comment I made oh, probably over a year ago now and it was some people noticed it. It was in an article where I talked about a whole lot of other things and said that there are some young children and babies who have been really quite damaged as a result of B12 deficiency being on a vegan diet. And I said there was even a couple of deaths. And as a result of that comment, I got an enormous amount of abuse mm. and hundreds of people doing one-star reviews on my... Oh, the same thing happened to me. Facebook page. There's a, so, yeah. yeah, I mean... It's like I wasn't saying anything that wasn't factual and that's what happened. Well, yeah, I mean, I'll share my story. So when I first watched Netflix, I just created a meme for a bit of a joke and it it said friends don't friends, friends don't let friends take the nutrition advice from Netflix. Mm -hmm. And it was so tongue-in-cheek. I didn't think anything of it. I put it up and then I didn't go back online until let's say the next lunchtime right so maybe maybe even i don't even know let's say it was 16 hours later it had been shared obviously shared into a number of vegan facebook groups because these weren't my followers the abuse that had been thrown at me was out of this world like nothing i've ever experienced and you know i've been talking about fats and cholesterol in the low fat era. And I used to get a lot of criticism back then, but this was next level. This was like personal attacks, criticisms of the way I look, my health, my qualifications. Like I won't waste more time on it, but it was, it got really horrific that I actually took the post down. Then the minute I posted my um, article with scientific literature, references, etc., they were absolutely quiet. They did not say a word. That was quite an interesting contrast, but I just don't see why it's necessary to start to get personal when we're in the science. Yeah, I, I would like people to stick to the facts and, you know, with respect to health on a plant-based diet, I would have loved to have seen a lot more information in the game changers about how you as an athlete can thrive on a plant-based diet if that's what you choose 
but it was it was missing. And as far as I can see, it's not really included in the Game Changers um, website either. Well, I'm just wondering what's going to come next. I mean, they could never have predicted the hype that has been created. I'm sure that was, you know, their intention, but it is just completely blown up. I Mm. wonder what else they're planning on doing if they've got, you know, further, you know, products or programs or merchandise or what that looks like from a financial point of view as well. I wonder too. Mm. And who knows, they've got lots and lots of footage. They could very well be making that into more documentaries. I'm not sure. Yeah. 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 Who knows? So, you know, obviously you're a fan of plants. Um, what, I mean, do you work with vegan athletes and, and, and or do you, what do you think that someone needs to do to be plant-based and thrive? Yeah, so I don't, I, I mean, I've worked, I don't tend to work with vegans. I think if anybody looked me up and they would see that I'm probably not of that persuasion, would probably be a bit worried about working with me. Um, however, I've had a couple of clients who go, look, you know, I really want to switch to much more plants in my diet and get away from eating so much meat. So we talk about what they would need to do to do that Um, and especially with athletes it depends on what type of athlete you are of course Um, strength training ones like myself need to be really particular about protein so I would talk a lot about um, getting adequate protein and if they wanted to grow their muscles hitting that leucine threshold three times a day and how you can actually do that with Um, a plant-based diet pretty difficult I'd say there's probably only a couple of plant-based protein sources that you could do it the rest would have to be done with um, supplemental protein shakes and then depending on each person and what your predisposition is so if you've got a predisposition for inflammation I would definitely have people take both um, plant omega-3 and some algae DHA to get that long-chain omega-3 and be careful about not overdoing omega-6 and getting that balance wrong. I'd probably make sure people supplemented with a good quality vegan multi and vitamin D in the winter, but I get most people to do that anyway. Mm. Um, uh, And retinol is another thing. If you're not a very good converter of beta carotene to retinol, you could become deficient in in vitamin A. Uh, Paradoxal is another one that's not often mentioned, which is your B6 only found in animal forms of B6. The plant form is paradoxine. And there's been a study I noticed a couple of years ago which found that people who take high doses of pyridoxine, it blocks the action or the receptors for pyridoxal, the active form, and so they end up getting B6 deficiency, which is interesting. So, mm. yeah, a lot of, lot of nutrients that you need to be really careful of 
an athlete, I'd probably suggest they take creatine as well if they were interested in growing their muscles, but also an omnivorous athlete, I'd recommend that too as well. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, back to our point about probably needing a lot of things that um, aren't available from your food. So, you know, that might be a deciding factor for a lot of people aside from those that have that very strong ethical reason who often aren't actually doing it for their health, unfortunately. (laughs) Um, Still understanding that there's a lot that you need to know about and a lot of work that can, you know, really help optimise your choice if that if you're that way inclined yes and i would like i mean some people some uh plant-based people are really really aware of that and but i think people coming out of watching the game changers just will not be aware of that because it wasn't something other than b12 that they mentioned was important Mm. so yeah that does bother me yeah, me too. Um, definitely because it's become so popular, every second person knows of someone or is becoming a vegan themselves. And yeah, I have a huge issue with that, that it's going to lead to a lot of health issues when their intentions are the opposite. You know, they think they're doing it for, for health, for the right reasons when, you know, it's because they've been fed the wrong information, sadly. Yes, exactly. I just wanted to touch on the environmental conversation as like one of our final pieces because it's something that I'm really passionate about discussing because one of the strongest, I mean, aside from sort of cancer, cardiovascular disease, that that fallacy, the third biggest fallacy that we often see around meat in particular is how damaging it is for the environment and greenhouse gases and global warming, climate change, et cetera. but what's not discussed is, you know, what we see in this day and age with like monocrops of soy and wheat, how that's really impacting our soil and, and how quite truthfully we're not going to be able to feed the world off monocrops with the current state of soil depletion and the lack of available land. Like what are your thoughts on what was presented in the film around the farming methods and the environmental impact? Yeah, to be you know, to be fair, this isn't an area that I've looked into mm-hmm. in an enormous amount. Um, one thing that bothers me about monocropping, and it affects both plant-based people and um, omnivores, is how it affects the land. So, you know, the soil becomes depleted, the microbiome in the soil is depleted, Insects are killed with pesticides. The small creatures that live in the soil, mice, etc., get killed. Um, and the insects that feed the birds, the birds don't have their food. So we need to be really careful about, well, if we're not eating animal protein, what is it going to be replaced by and what environmental impact does that have? Um, you know, when I see animals grown, you know, here in New Zealand where I live, you see pastures full of, you know, dozens of different types of plants. There are bugs all over the place. There are creatures. There are birds feeding. You know, the animals look pretty happy munching on grass. Um, the soil is probably an awful lot better 
than the monocropped soil. So I think how we grow our food definitely needs to be improved and yeah, both plants and animals. I mean, I don't like you, I don't like to see animals in huge holdings with bare ground munching on um, soybeans or grains. I don't think that's the right way to go either. I think all round we need to do better in growing both plants and animals to support the environment and obviously human health. Yeah. Yeah, and I think it's time to stop putting our heads in the sand around that. Like we definitely need to vote with our dollar around where we buy our meat. So really important that we're not supporting factory farming, which is, you know, what a lot of the literature looks at, the poor quality meats or worse still, you know, the worst of the worst cured meats and and then extrapolating that to meat direct from the farm that's pasteurized, you know, grass-fed, grass-finished, etc. So that's a real issue with the science. But hopefully it does highlight the importance of purchasing meat with quality in mind and then understanding more about our environmental impact from both animals and plants. And I think educating ourselves is really important because climate change is real and unfortunately our politicians don't think it would bring much. So we need to start to make those changes at a grassroots level. Yeah. And, you know, I or any of my clients that can afford it, I ask them to consider, you know, the, the meat they buy, the, you know, free-range organic chickens, whatever, so that, and also imported meat is another thing that I try to keep away from as well mm. because we have no idea, is it, you know, grown on um, what was Amazon forest land? Are they fed on soybeans that come from the Amazon, you know, what, does, what do your animals feed on? Where does that food come from? So, yeah, if we can vote with the dollar for sure, but it needs to be bigger than that, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. And, of course. Um, of course it does. <laughs> yeah. So we have to keep, you know, we have to keep the conversation happening so change happens at um, a much higher level, of course. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. All right. I just wanted to give you the space to add anything that you would like to, to the conversation and then um, you're welcome to share anything else that you've got going on on your plate at the moment and then where our listeners can find you online. Sure. I think the other thing I wanted to add was this um, techniques of persuasion isn't just in plant-based documentaries on health you will see the same techniques used even in documentaries that you agree with. And I think we need to be super aware of any documentary or TV program about it, well, any topic, but I'm just talking about mainly nutrition and health topics that present a point of view and question who's making it, why they're making it, who have they chosen to be on the program? Is it balanced? And ask a whole lot of questions rather than take it at face value. It's like, I don't agree with that or I agree with it. It's like, where, why is it being made and what's the point of view being presented here? And question it. Is it, is it accurate? Is it balanced? Is it 
showing both sides of the picture or is it just one-sided? So, yeah, in any documentary, I would say that about. Mm. Yes, absolutely true. Yeah. Any research article, <laughs> like any piece of literature, I think is really important that we um, take a deeper dive for sure rather than just believing that top level. Yes, yeah, for sure. And, yeah, so about me, what I'm interested in. So my main area of interest currently is um, diet and autoimmune disease. So um, in my postgrad diploma, I did a little research topic, a qualitative um, research interviewing 10 people with rheumatoid arthritis who used an autoimmune paleo or paleo diet, which they say or they experienced as reducing their symptoms and disease markers and fatigue and pain and improving their quality of life. And I'm currently planning um, some master's research testing a paleo or probably more likely an autoimmune paleo diet in a small group of people with rheumatoid arthritis. So that I will be starting next year. So that's um, a little bit scary and quite exciting (laughs) doing that. Awesome. I love it. Keeping yourself nice and busy. Busy and keeping the old brain ticking over. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. So I'll pop your article up in the show notes. It's hosted over on paleozonenutrition.com. And thank you once again for sharing your knowledge. It was great to have you on the show today. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's been great. Thank you so much for listening, team. Make sure you dive into the show notes over at thenaturalnutritionist.com.au forward slash podcast. Now, before you go, can I ask you a favor? I'd be so grateful if you would leave me a five-star review on iTunes. I personally read every review and comment and love hearing your aha moments and takeaways from each episode. Together, we can continue to spread the real food love. See you next time on The Real Food Reel. This has been a production of TheWellnessCouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on Facebook.com forward slash TheWellnessCouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.